0: Basically what I had to do was sight read music every day for a year and perform every day for a year. So it was completely crazy the sort of amount of notes that were passing through my brain.
1: Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better better acquainted with you today we are getting better acquainted with sarah hello sarah hello <laughs> <laughs> how did you first meet me
0: oh oh no it's like a memory test yeah oh, i
1: dear. guess so.
0: Ah, uh, well i assume it must be sort of four years ago or four years ago i've got actually no idea where
1: i first met you to be honest it might have it's... been would it have been germany would you have met me first in uh, berlin maybe
0: at clive's yeah it might yeah, have been possibly yeah that...
1: <laughs> i don't know if i gave a good impression at that point <laughs> you were a bit off-footed by a lot of us at that yeah. moment
0: <laughs> it's probably a bit of a baptism of a fire wasn't it if i met you there because there mm. would have been quite a lot of you in one go um i should say for the purposes of the recording that dave's a good friend of rich
1: who is your partner.
0: My soon-to-be husband, in fact. That's right,
1: very soon. (laughs) What do you do now?
0: What do I do? Okay, that's quite a big question. (laughs) Today I've been a marketing officer (laughs) and uh, I would have liked to have been a pianist today as well but there wasn't quite time. So I do lots of different things, basically it all stems from playing the piano, which is what I've done since I was three. and. playing the piano led me into exploring music that was kind of more at the edges of what people knew about or what was familiar and gradually that led me into doing more and more sort of experimental things which led me into being able to apply for a lecturing job because obviously universities um, are interested in research i.e new work and so at the university, I then was given the job of concert organiser, which I, in my usual style, expanded far beyond what was necessary, <laughs> and so therefore I am now about to run a festival in about two weeks' time. I'm um, called BEAM, which is Brunel Electronic and Analog Music, so, when so I'm sort of loads of different things. When
1: this podcast comes out, it will be in a week's time, I think, because okay. it, it's next, yeah. it'll be next week. Sorry, so. yes. Yeah. Okay, let's...
0: Sorry, there's quite a, quite a lot to unpack from... <laughs> there is a,
1: there is a lot to unpack. I think probably the best way is to not unpack it, but to go through your relationship with music. And I think for, right. by doing that, we'll we'll unpack everything that you've just said. <laughs> when do you first remember hearing music?
0: Hmm, I suppose it's probably... And it's hard not to sort of manipulate memories, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very hard.
0: Um... But I'm guessing, well, actually, it, it was probably, I was first going to say my mum teaching other people piano or recorder or, you know, singing or whatever it was at home. But it was probably also church, I suppose, actually, people singing and, you know. My mum says that I used to sit under the piano when she taught piano to people, which must have made me quite annoying. Because <laughs> I don't know if it was an upright piano. There wouldn't be much room. So I guess from the very beginning, I guess I was surrounded by it because of my mum being a music teacher. She's a music teacher. Yeah.
1: Okay, and so and she, she played. Is her first in, her main instrument the piano too?
0: Yeah, yeah. So she went to um, the Royal College and did piano things.
1: And, and did, did, was your is your dad involved in music? Or? No,
0: my dad's um, a chemical engineering lecturer now retired. Okay, so, so. he was.
1: So he's a lecturer. So yeah. you kind of ended up yeah. doing both of them. So kind of yeah, thing. there's
0: definitely the kind of education thing. But there's also um what I really enjoy now, which is this balance between music and sort of science or Yeah. Um
1: engineering. Was playing music a thing that you chose to do?
0: Very good question. And not at first, not until I was about twenty one, actually, right. in okay. reality. Um I mean of course I enjoyed it and did in a sense choose to be committed to it you know I mean because I was sent off to music school when I was like 14 I was practicing four hours a day you know on the piano which is kind of a strange thing to be doing at that age (laughs) when you think about four hours a day it's quite a long time wow yeah yeah um but actually I think it was when I left university I mean quite clearly I sat down and thought hang on I haven't actually really chosen this I've just sort of done it and it's kind of chosen me in some ways, you know, because I've obviously got some sort of talent for it and enjoyed it and, you know, been in the right context for it and all the rest of it. But I did have a very clear sense that I hadn't kind of made a definite decision for myself, so I actually just gave up completely. (laughs) Okay. And, uh, and, And then after a few months I just thought, oh I'm really missing it I really want to choose to do it you know and it was that moment where I kind of thought right okay yeah this is it
1: so you you gave up just what only for a few months yeah
0: for a few months but yeah. significant months. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely so it was good actually to have to choose it
1: and so before you chose music yeah you studied it since you were three
0: yeah so I started when I was three wow yeah so I must have been one of those slightly freaky children I think <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know, I do remember there was a little duet called Little John, which I really liked playing as fast as possible. I do <laughs> think I was probably quite annoying. And it sort of went you know oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you just played it, you know. Ba 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 da da you know, but of course I had to play it as fast as it was possible. And um there are actually several pictures of me sort of playing it whilst looking at the audience, you know, it's a very sort of Lang Lang-esque
1: what, looking posture
0: at, so i played the piano and looking at the audience looking at the
1: camera then, yeah
0: yeah yeah you know so the, the audience well, was
1: your mum and yeah your dad,
0: well or or? just anybody no I mean well because I lived in this massive commune sort of house okay so there was always loads of adults around and yeah just kind of really enjoyed performing I think in brackets showing off you know that sort of
1: and was there a lot of kind of support for what you were doing within the kind of communal house that you lived in? Yeah, I
0: think so. I think, you know, I mean, when I look back at the pictures, I mean, it's all very sort of 70s haircuts and, you know, it's all yeah. very sort of people probably sitting around and playing recorders together, but, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> and did did you have a sort of sense of the audience? I mean, is the audience part of why you do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, no. I, I like being. I yeah. like being... On stage, I'm, I can yeah. understand it.
0: Well, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, it's a it's as a two stage process where you are discovering whatever it is that you are going to communicate, and then it's communicating it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but certainly, I mean, in the last few years as well, with the kind of more experimenting approach, shall we say? Yeah. Um, doing live electronics and thinking about combining piano with electronic sound.
1: Yeah.
0: All of my fascination, I suppose, really is about how sound might be communicated when it's created by something unseen so if you're trying to communicate sound from inside a computer how are you going to perform that so that it communicates to the audience so yeah absolutely it's all about okay that communication process so
1: what's more important do you think or are they equally important process or performance
0: for sure it has to be that they're equal because because if you just made up nonsense then it would be a bit pointless communicating it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. If also you made up something amazing, but then failed to communicate it, that would also be lost. So I suppose it's. I mean, my approach is very much performative. You know, it's very yeah. much about the act of performance because playing an instrument is something that happens right then and there, and it is something that is not perfect, and it is something that is very sort of, you know, fallible and emotional and all of these things, sort of fragile in a way. And, that's, and so yeah,
1: and that's a um, that's the actual live performance because I mean this goes yeah. into a a question that I was going to ask really about do you think that recorded music and live music are equal are they do they both e- interest you or does do, is it live that that really gets gets you gets you going. Mm.
0: Yeah, again, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I certainly don't believe in hierarchies, you know, and I think... Okay,
1: good Good answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's really interesting. It's not really until I have started to try and make my own music that I've suddenly got really interested in listening to recorded music from other people. And it's not really until the last kind of year or two that I've actually really valued, you know, recorded music as a medium because, yeah, I am quite obsessed with anything live. And I do spend half my life going out to gigs and events and, you know, whatever's happening some, in some funny little basement somewhere, you know, and I'll be right there watching it. So, yeah, I am totally excited by the live moment, but it's, it's increasingly recently that I've been sitting at home actually probably listening to things and, you know, exploring things. Because
1: they're very different disciplines. I mean, yeah. I, 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 as someone who does both, you know, they're very, very different. Mm. Sometimes I find that it can be really frustrating that live you can't capture what you can capture mm-hmm. in a studio or, well, in my case, a bedroom, mm-hmm. um, which we're <laughs> literally sitting in. Hey, that's in what now. everyone's doing. Yeah, nowadays. Um, but then at the same time, live is so exciting, and it's the fact that you can't bottle it.
0: Yeah.
1: That the, the, the people sitting in the audience, that's yeah. that's, that's that's that moment that, yeah. that, that they'll have got that, and that's yeah, you know. you you can't recreate that yeah that's
0: and there's something extremely sort of elevating i guess in terms of the actual art itself that happens when you are doing it in front of other people i think Mm -hmm. you know it just puts you over the edge into a sort of domain where there's focus and there's i don't know tension or excitement or yeah i mean at home it's hard to recreate that feeling so as you say i suppose recording might be more introverted or it might be yeah I think
1: so Mm -hmm. I mean because on the thing about the live experience is that you experience it the you the artist experiences it with the audience Mm. like it's a shared experience yeah that's what I like about it Mm. because as someone who also writes and writing is you know writing prose that is kind of like recording you Mm. give it to somebody else they experience it but you don't experience it together Mm -hmm. um and the thing that appeals to me about live music or theater or the other the other or i mean this podcast sort of thing is a strange kind of middle ground where they don't experience it with us at the time that we're recording now mm. but they can comment on it uh that's what the kind of the internet sort of brought up this new middle ground where oh, you right. you can hear your audience back and i guess mm. the same with with writing increasingly mm-hmm. uh people are aware of what their audience thinks mm-hmm. uh and uh, yeah it's 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 kind of a, f- a fascinating time to be making art I think because mm. there is no boundaries between recorded and live so much anymore you know mm. if, if you've got a, mm. what about a, I mean if you do a performance on a YouTube video that's a live performance, but then you've recorded it, and then mm. it's there, and then the audience are commenting on it. It's very strange. Mm. Anyway, that's a slight, slight tangent.
0: No, no it's an interesting tangent. No. Yeah,
1: <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll work that out later. Mm. <laughs> right
0: well, some people are quite precious, aren't they, and don't want something to be recorded so that it did only exist in that moment for that audience in that place. You know.
1: Well, yeah, I certainly I've made music with people who the the real problem is that getting it to sound perfect in the recording is almost an impossible thing. I mean, it it is probably impossible to achieve. So I think you've got to have a certain point where you're like, right, here's the deadline, what's done is done. And that's like a live performance. And and so that's my kind of instinct is that recorded work should be treated like live work and you've got a deadline and you, you fail or you succeed in that one release. The release is the same as the performance but I've worked with people who are very perfectionist who mm. th- they're never gonna they're always gonna want to twiddle the knobs a little mm, bit and, mm. and, and turn the turn the levels up and turn the levels down And I mean it's a kind of madness that
0: I wonder if that's why I haven't done so much <laughs> recording because I am a complete deadline fiend, you know, give me a deadline and I'll do it, <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely so it's much harder to have something without a fixed deadline because uh, yeah you want to keep perfecting it or not, perfecting is the wrong
1: word but you want to keep Developing it. That's the ideal. I mean, that's that's the ideal of getting a record deal because then the artist can't sit around in their bedroom twiddling their knobs anymore. They have to just go, right, "Right, it's got to be done by this date. People are paying money and they need to see a return. And whilst I have quite a negative relationship to the commerce side of art, I do appreciate how it can make people work and get better work out there. But also, the commerce
0: side, I suppose, is, you know, it does all of the things that it does well, you know, like mm. feed information out. And, I mean, oh, yeah. It, and I that's mean, what's interesting as well, as you say, about the internet.
1: And certainly I, I, I don't feel so ambivalent about the commerce side of art that I don't want to make money out <laughs> of my art. God, I would love to do that. <laughs> you started playing the piano yeah. when you were three. Yeah uh so i can't it is it is i (laughs) i I don't know if i was i I mean i was i I think i was walking by the time i was three but i mean i mean i work with children you know who are three and i'm just imagining the children i do i sing i sing songs with three-year-olds and they're not that great you know i mean sometimes you give them a shaker you get one in a group of you know 25 children one of them will be able to Get the time right, ah. the, the, do the rhythm. The rest of them just all over the place. It's, it's a amazing. nightmare. I watched, I
0: watched my mum, though, teaching three-year-olds. I walked in you know, a few months ago and she was teaching eight three-year-olds and she's got all these little matching chairs for them all. And they're all like <laughs> sitting there in a row, looking up at her as if she's the answer to life itself. You know, It's just amazing. And they all do their little shakers in time and I thought, wow, mum, how do you do this? You know, it's See, actually, that's great. It is quite impressive. But that's
1: right? one-on-one and... You know, I mean, with the groups I have, there's all these other distractions yeah, as well. Right, so, I mean, right. I can appreciate that. I've also done, I've done music with, with under fives in the family. Because I, I like, I find that, what I find about that age is that they they can write lyrics that are amazing. Because they've got no <laughs> filter. Really? Yeah, I think so. Like They can come up, What's some good? sometimes awful lyrics, obviously. Mm-hmm. But within them, if 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 they've got a good editor, they can come up with good good right. lyrics I think wow. um, and melodies as well because they have no filter again so they're just naturally reacting so the older you get the more self-conscious you get yes. so the more you're like is that good is that good I'm borrowing from that and you know you, you go oh no that sounds like this thing and it can be yeah. really hard whereas Se- yeah. I like it like the what they can't do is they can't be persuaded to perfect the music mm. so it's like they come up with a good thing and if you don't record it then and then you'll never be able to prove it Right. Um, whereas you know older kids they'll practice well some of them will I never practiced very well when I was a kid Mm. I tried to learn the violin once but I couldn't really get into that Um, I know but I mean I wasn't even three I was older when I tried (laughs) to learn instruments and I, I could never the only time in my life where I've practiced I've been over over 21 And I've practiced seriously on music since then because I've been like hang on the only way I can achieve my goals is to practice right Um, but until then very hard but I do
0: think it's something also that's taught you know that sort of has to be taught the Mm. slightly weird self-discipline and and actually it wasn't really till I went to music school that I did these kind of crazy amounts of hours I did, you know, I mean I did obviously practice before then otherwise I wouldn't have got in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, actually when I got there there was a, you know, a sort of boot camp type feel yeah. and, you know, you had to fill in your 4 hours a day and there was practice supervisors that would sort of roam the corridors and check that you were actually practicing. And, you know, it was quite
1: See that's um, that I don't work I don't I don't, no. I don't have well, a very healthy re- well, maybe I have a healthy relationship. I'm not sure but I have problems with authority.
0: Yeah. But uh, it's I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, it also Begs the question of what practice is, and you know how you should practice, and the explorations that need to happen, and the sort of remaining engaged with your musical soul, if you like, rather than simply sort of being. You know, learning by rote, right? Yeah. Or yeah, a sort of learning machinic things or whatever. But equally, there is this place for discipline, and I think actually it was useful to have done that at that stage, mm. when perhaps otherwise it would have been, you know, whatever, just relaxing or doing far too much homework or whatever. But then to be able to sort of grow out of that as well is quite useful to be more exploratory and more.
1: But well, it takes a but long time. You've got that to... basis, haven't you? Yeah, first, sure, I right. mean, a lot of people and I know are very as well. yeah. A lot of people I know who are very excellent musicians, they have, as they've got older, pushed the boundaries. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like with dance. I remember, I did I did dance for a year at university you? with your husband, actually, one of future husband. <laughs> we were in, in did dance together for a year, and there was somebody on that course who had done uh, ballet, right? And she had to unlearn,
0: yeah, right, her
1: yeah. technique, yeah, and we had to learn. A new technique so it was easier for us to learn that new technique but after she you know she was always going to be the best because she already had known discipline Mm. if you understand the rules and it's what they always say with writing Mm. if you understand the rules you can subvert them if you don't understand the rules then you might make brilliant stuff but you won't be doing it completely consciously right. Now, there's questions about whether art needs to be made con- mm. consciously or yeah. whether it can just be inst- instinctual I think there's a lot of validity within that kind of mm. area but mm-hmm. I do look back at my childhood my, my and and, and uh, I wish that I'd learned an instrument like in that kind of way with that kind of discipline mm-hmm. I also wish I'd learnt a language in the same in the same mm. kind of way because it's really hard to find the time as an adult
0: yeah. You know, 14, yeah.
1: you had four hours. Right.
0: Yeah, there is something it about... It was built into your schedule. Sort of but Right, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it ch- literally was as well. You know, we had sort of an hour of practice and then an hour
1: of maths. Or, you Do know. you still practice as much? Or? No way. <laughs> 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 I um, guess you don't need to as much. Uh, no, it's because not you're that. it's just a refresher. <laughs> oh, OK. It's just you've got more things uh, in your just, life.
0: Uh, yeah, I've got an inbox. No, I've got eight inboxes, actually.
1: <laughs> eight um, inboxes? Yeah, it's wow, that's... that's <laughs> That that's in, insane, and, uh, that's coming, and that's coming from someone who takes on projects like water. Uh, eight inboxes is too much even for me. Can't you just um, like I have all of them come to the same account?
0: Oh no, I find separation useful. You can put different hats on. <laughs> yeah, you, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit much. Though.
1: I'm quite a multi. I have to do five things at once.
0: Uh, just one point as well to yeah, come back to, which sorry. is interesting. No, no, just we could we can talk about okay, it later. Go for it. No, just because you mentioned the word self consciousness. And I think I find myself always um, repeatedly sort of talking to students about self-consciousness being really the enemy of performance mm. because whenever the ego is there, you know, you're not actually thinking about whatever you're communicating musically. And, you know, that's not not to say that, you know, people with amazing big personalities aren't incredible as performers, but there's something about interpreting perhaps Specifically, other people's music and being this sort of channel that actually, when people are constantly thinking, Oh, how do I look? How do I sound? Oh, everyone's yeah. looking at me, you know, that that really gets in the way. And I find that that's a, a recurrent theme. In it's my teaching. biggest
1: challenge as a performer. Oh, right. I'm, I find it so hard when I get up on stage to forget about things like that like, right. like do, does my do I look do I look cool What's like? hey. yeah exactly all that stuff <laughs> really? I think I mean I think my my kind of journey as an artist at the moment is really I'm trying to to shed as much ego as possible right. I mean ego is the right word for it um and I guess one of the things that this podcast is trying to do is going right okay on this podcast I will talk about Things that embarrass, that I'm embarrassed, I wouldn't want to talk about. You know, like, right. I, uh, there's been a couple of episodes that will come after this in the future where I talk about things that I generally brush under the carpet like okay. being into the Lord of the Rings or whatever when I was a kid <laughs> which I, I don't uh, you know that kind of that's the kind of ego I mean like I wouldn't want like as a, when I was wanting to be a rock star I wouldn't want to just stand on stage and have people being aware that I right. w- was into the Lord of the Rings as a kid or no. that, I, that I'm socially awkward when I go to a party or things oh, like right. that and I'm like, like fuck that I want to I want to I want to get above that and uh-huh. I kind of think maybe that's what this one of the one of the strands that this project in itself is about is that yeah, Okay. so it's interesting. interesting that you say that mm. so I've had a lot of conversations with with friends about ego recently <laughs> uh, and they and then and they don't always agree with me really because I think there is another strand I mean there is another approach to art and I, I, I never think there's a right and wrong the um, right and wrong answer to these things there is a sort of the other point of view is that pride can create like can create like being proud of yourself and creating a self image or whatever like Prince Mm. or uh, like a lot of hip hop is about Mm. pride and uh, or rock you know (laughs) like that stuff where you're like oh god these people have got such big egos and they're ridiculous is also what makes them great Do you know what I mean? Sure. It's a double-sided sort of sword, I guess. There
0: was another podcast I wanted to tell you about, which is actually going to be one of the beam train tracks, which I can tell you about later. It's called Museum of Techno. Okay. And there's a very funny one where they're talking about, you know, rap and that sort of art, you know, which is very much about me. And, and they they talk about it really funnily. It's all about the sort of self-fulfilling journey of rap. And, you know, if they stand on stage and say, I'm amazing, look at me. and I'm brilliant? And the women love me. And then they come off stage and they look brilliant and all the women love them. You know, and it's just this really nice sort of self-perpetuating it, cycle of, you know.
1: Well, it is. It's telling you, the
0: story that you want to happen. Well,
1: there is that strand of art, isn't there? Is if you say it, it it makes it's it true, happen right, right, right. It's, and, 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 and there is there is some truth to that okay so you had four months off and then went right okay i choose music what happened then uh
0: so then i thought oh dear I better go back to um study or something quickly and went to the Guildhall to do a year um and i basically applied to the A company's course which turned out to be a strange thing to do but actually was quite useful basically what i had to do was um sight read music every day for a year and perform every day for a year so it was completely crazy the sort of amount of notes that were passing through my brain and eyes and hands um but it was really good to a meet lots of people which i'd definitely you know stay say sadly is still you know one of the ways to sort of get on in the world but also it was useful because i met some people who were composing new music and that's when it all kind of kicked off so basically there was a moment when i was in a practice room chatting to one of my friends and he said oh i've just had a call to go and play celeste up at albra um for a piece the emperor's nightingale um i don't feel like doing it do you want to do it and i said oh yeah sure whatever you know get out of london for the weekend yeah and, um, and that actually, that meeting sort of turned out to be really, really important. And I went off and went up to Snape and met Ollie and the conductor, and got into new music through that. And also a guiltful meanwhile, because I was sight reading so much, I just played music that I'd never seen before. I turned into a bit of a sort of machine at it and I became quite kind of good at just regurgitating music from sight and the composers discovered this and thought, ah, that's very useful and so at the same time I was meeting loads of composers and playing their music and getting into being able to give them sort of live feedback you know, yeah. say, look, this piano part doesn't work why don't you try this or them to say, hey, but can't you play it in a different way and I was really enjoying the challenge of that so so that year was really important for discovering Yep. The sort of interest of creating things that were new with people who were alive and in the room, and you could talk to, and you know.
1: Yeah, you, you can. You can't have a conversation with Beethoven. Just doesn't happen, you know. Yeah, it's you know, not on Skype. Exactly, mm. and that's great. And so <laughs> from there, you sort of became a professional pianist. is, well, is I, that? What, you, is that <laughs> what sounds, you are sounds
0: so nice, doesn't it? <laughs> no, um, I mean it's you know it's a sort of messy journey, of course, and. Um, basically i so i was doing a lot of accompanying and that kind of little trajectory took me into some of the concert halls that in the classical world people hold to you know on the highest pedestals places like the wickmore hall and you know um, and i ended up doing those gigs and then sort of thinking oh right what you know what else what next and um, actually at, in around 2000 i think it was the i won this competition which it's strange actually to think actually a lot of things might have been dependent on that competition considering how actually unhealthy a lot of, you know, competition, yeah, that yeah. sort of side of weird fanatical <laughs> classical music making, you know, is. But yeah, sure enough it was a competition and um, there were some really great judges like Rolf Hind, the pianist, and um, I had to learn lots of music. It's organised by Philip Mead who actually I used to get taken to when I was about 10. My mum, bless her, did used to take me to some pretty edgy experimental concerts of like stock hours and weird stuff oh, and I cool. go oh that's interesting so she obviously planted the seeds she probably regrets it now and wishes that she'd just <laughs> taken me to see Chopin all the time um, so yeah so there was a sort of gradual journey of doing more gigs surviving from piano teaching a lot um, but then gradually kind of like a seesaw I suppose gradually shifting into more gigs I made a, a decision very early on that I wouldn't play this sounds really weird but I wouldn't play to earn money so I basically decided really early on that if I was playing that it would be playing what I was passionate about what I was into and then I would try and earn money the rest mm. of the time sort of thing so I kind of divided them straight away which meant that I did laser gigs for free of weird obscure modern music that you know not many people were coming to but I decided that was my thing
1: so you were teaching to make money so I was
0: teaching to make money and, and you then, were
1: playing for free
0: yeah and then Basically, just like a big, very slow seesaw, it kind of tipped. And then eventually I could give up teaching and just do playing and then...
1: Because you weren't playing the gigs to make money, but when people right. offered you the money, that was fine. Yeah, of reasonably course. enough. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, I I'm not. I'm not making these podcasts to make money. But if somebody wants to offer me some money for making them, I am. I'm well I, up for it. I
0: love the idea that somebody would offer me a gig to play some of music. I go, no, I'm sorry, I don't no, do that don't for mind. money.
1: Oh, yeah, no. well, you know, there's some crazy <laughs> artists really around. That nice you know, there, there are some crazy <laughs> artists around. Um, so, and did you work for? Oh, People at Warp Records, is that true um, or is yeah, that yeah. just something I've heard?
0: <laughs> no, uh, the Warp Records thing is a collaboration. Um, I can't actually remember which year we met, but possibly 2003, maybe. Um, I ended up, or 2005, I ended up doing a gig with uh, Le- the London Sinfonietta and Warp Records. They did a kind of a tour that was called Warp Works. And the idea was that they would present in a concert music that was kind of classic 20, 20th century, sort of, you know Ligeti, Stockhausen and that sort of music, alongside Warp Records stuff, so The Interval was like a sort of mayhem half hour of massively loud videos by Orteca or mm. Aphix Gin or, you know, whatever it was and I never
1: knew how to say that I've only ever seen it written down I never would have said it 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 was
0: probably the best gig of my life it was really exciting so did you meet Afex Twin? no he he wasn't actually there Richard. Richard James
1: yeah um, um,
0: I'm saying Richard. I just stopped before his said over that's not like I know him. Um, yeah, R- Rich. Yeah, Rich. You know me, Rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> RJ. So right. Does he drive a tank? Is that true? I don't cool. know. I, I just like a few of his it. records. Yeah. Uh, he he was one of the. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got one of his things on cassette from when I was a student, wow. so my age there. Um, I, I
1: had I had I had cassettes too. <laughs> So that, that, that <laughs> obscures, obscures, <laughs> obscures your
0: age now. Um, anyway, and it was the coolest gig. I got to play John Cage prepared sonatas and interludes, which are uh, the pieces oh. that sound like a gamelin, right? Yeah. So you stick nails and all the rest of it inside the piano. And it was in Rome. It was in this incredible auditorium called the Parca della Musica, which is built by Renzo Piano, uh, the architect's Renzo Piano and it basically looks like a big armadillo. It's the coolest building and it's, you know, there was 3,000 people there and they were all completely loving it and they were sort of screaming with delight and I come on stage in my little red dress and play John Cage and they're like, wow, this is amazing, you know. And um, that was very exciting as a gig. And anyway, I met on that gig, Mira Kalix and David Shepard. Okay. And basically, Mira Kalix is a warp artist and David Shepard was doing the sort of sound and collaborating with her on her piece. Um, and basically we just got talking and we thought wouldn't it be an interesting idea to instead of simply presenting warp records type music electronica and sort of classic um, you know pieces, classic yeah. pieces of modern avant-garde sort of music instead of just presenting them together how would it be to actually form a band to try to bring them closely related inside an actual piece of music you know so actually kind of bringing our influences together and and making new music together.
1: So doing warp records style modern Sort, sort of. of
0: some sort of amalgamation yeah. of the languages. So between yeah. the
1: classical right. experimentalism and the electronic experimentalism, right. exactly. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. they, they seem like a, a logical fit, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is really interesting. Well, I was going to say how many people, you know, in the dance music sort of world say that they're inspired by Stockhausen, but then there's that funny interview exchange, isn't there, between Aphex and Stockhausen, where Stockhausen says, "Yes, but you know, why do not you think about being more?" Um, uh, more abstract or something I can't remember what the exact wording and then Apex Twin writes back and says yeah but you know you could have some more beats and people would be allowed like to dance to it there's some sort of funny exchange it's quite right? hard
1: to dance to a lot of Apex Twin to be fair uh, it's quite some fun of it you watching can. people do this, yeah, it, it well, makes it look like a twitchy spider your future husband is is, is is one of the one of the people I know who's pretty good at dancing to uh, Apex Twin good dancer generally really
0: yeah he is. Okay. so we did make a record and it did go out on Warp Records so yes that is true and that is
1: basically why Rich goes out with me. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah he is actually, yeah. I mean, that's when, when I first knew anyways. him, he was massively into Wall Records. And now he's going out with someone who was on Wall Records. He's, he's, he's succeeded, uh, I guess, in that respect. When did you start uh, taking pianos apart? I think it was when we went
0: to Liverpool. So we um moved up to Liverpool, and that was two thousand and seven, I guess, or two thousand and eight, yeah two thousand and seven anyway, so it was during two thousand and eight I basically thought right what should we what should we do what's the opportunity here and the opportunity seemed to be space and time that um in Liverpool, it was easier to get hold of you know space to work in, okay. and because i wasn't kind of immersed in the um, crazy hecticness of London, actually there was a bit more time to kind of think about what next. And there was also an interesting opportunity that came up um, to play at an HCI conference, which is Human-Computer Interaction. Oh, cool. and These are the people I hang out with now. And, uh, <laughs> and I got a commission from Queen Mary's um, University of London to work with some computer scientists. So I thought, OK, this is an interesting moment. Um, so what I did was basically... Um, rent a little room, well, quite a big room in a sort of sort of squat kind of art collective place in Liverpool, Ulston Home Square, and um, and I just. Got um, some free pianos by ringing the local piano shop and sort of saying, "Could you possibly donate a piano?" And then he found a school that had a grand piano and they were about to chuck it in the tip. So I said, "Oh, could I? You could I have that." And they said, "Oh, yeah, it's fine." You know, and I paid like fifty quid. for well, the you you're to doing them
1: the a favour, really. Well, you're yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So child. I'm going
0: to give it a beautiful new life. You know, which it hopefully has. I think it's still there. I'm not sure. And the motivation was very clear. So basically um, in new music quite often the pianist is asked to play inside the piano which means to pluck a string or to put a preparation is what we call it like the John Cage when you put the nail inside the piano that's called preparing the piano um, and I thought uh, and uh, you know in a lot of improvised music pianists are sort of constantly inside the piano sort of scraping and knocking and plucking and you know all the rest of it and it's actually my geek fact for you. 1916 <laughs> was the first piece which was composed with inside piano techniques. So you know, I thought, right, 100 years has nearly gone by. Why don't we? Why don't we think about the shape of the piano in relation to the fact that people are interested in being able to play the inside as well as the outside? Mm. So I thought, well, right, clearly the only way for this to happen is if I take apart a piano, and um, and I had I had a little. A performance called "A Public Hanging," where I am—I um, hang up a soundboard of the piano from the ceiling, and um, sorry, took apart the whole piano. You know, sort of dismantled it, which was very noisy and quite well, fun. As
1: part of the piece. No, or that before was before.
0: That. Okay. And uh, excuse me. Mm. Okay, good. I'm all right now. Um, <laughs> okay. I had to. Sorry, I just had to sort myself out.
1: That's alright. Um, I'll cut that. Out. Cool. Thanks. <laughs>
0: So in the hanging, we um, we dismantled the piano already and we hung up the soundboard from the ceiling and it was just hanging there. The soundboard, for the purposes of anybody that doesn't hang out with pianos all the time, yep. is basically sort of the frame and the bit which holds the strings. So mm. s- sort of if you wanted to make a harp out of a piano, that bit, basically. Yep. Um, and we hung it up from the ceiling and it just hung there. And I was doing this piano lab, I called it, for maybe three four weeks. And the piano was just hanging there and we did different things with it and we chucked things at it and we sort of tried... We had a really nice piece with Will Scrimshaw where we put a mic on the soundboard and then fed the the sound through a computer and then made the other piano play itself in response to the first piano and there was this sort of amazing conversation. I don't know, there was lots of funny experiments going on. And then the piano was hanging there and I thought, aha, all I need to do is fix the keyboard to it in a slightly different way and I'll be able to play the whole thing very easily so what I did if you imagine a piano keyboard exactly where it would normally be mm-hmm. but then perpendicular coming up from that the back of the keys the piano strings are right there and they're coming up above the key so you can reach them really easily so it's sort of like a vertical harp right in front of you and um and I you know I sort of had the piano bits in Wollstone Home Square, and I was trying to figure out how it fit together. And I said to Rich, "You know, what do I do now?" And he said, "Oh, well, you should call a fabricator." And basically, fabricators are like these magic people, like the problem solver in Pulp Fiction. And and you <laughs> you look up fabricator in the Yellow Pages, you know. And uh, so I found my local one and rang got him an up. image and, of Harvey and It's amazing, yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. And he sort of rang up and he goes, "Hey, Harvey, <laughs> <laughs> I've got some piano bits. I want to put them back together in a different way. Can you help?" And, uh, and he goes, "Yeah, sure." And so um, so I sort of had like. Like three burly blokes come and pick up all these bits of piano and take them to his sort of industrial yard and there and then we spent a couple of weeks talking about how could we fix things and you know put it back together and and so he made my inside out piano
1: and that's the one you've got in your house that's the at the one moment I've got in my house, and yeah. I, I saw that at the weekend right, actually right. I was having a little play right. made some nice sounds actually I yeah. thought um, although not all of the, all, not all of the keys work. No, that no. was confusing me. I was it's
0: like, a bit, it's a bit
1: rough and ready. But that, but it sounds like it w- should be really. <laughs> I mean, and all instruments get quirks over time. It's just you've increased the <laughs> speed of how quick the quirks are going to happen. Uh, started with People it. aren't really aware of the fact that. Uh, a kind of piano has all of these strings and hammers inside them i mean right. they I, th- I guess people know but i remember standing in the music room looking at the strings on the piano like tw- twanging them and thinking right. actually these sound quite good and it is both a percussion instrument and a string instrument isn't yeah, it yeah. is, is yeah. it is it classed as it's, both it's it's classed
0: it? as a percussion instrument because the strike is kind of instant it's a wow. hit essentially yeah So rather than it being a bowed instrument, I guess that's
1: why you would... So I guess, I mean, in terms of, in musical terms, it's kind of a, it's like a steel drum in that it's got notes, uh, but it's a percussion instrument, so you can play a tune on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, but it is interesting, and that's kind of my point, in a way, about celebrating the strings, you Mm. know, because actually it is completely a string instrument as well, as you say, and there's so much you can do with strings. Strings are such a kind of exciting, resonant feature that, you know, actually let's continue celebrating them and get them out and you know actually the other part of it for me is coming back to the idea of the audience is the fact that once you've got the strings up and out like that then people can actually see what's going on yeah. you know because somebody said to me after a concert once, oh it's like you're, you're a sort of mechanic under the bonnet of a car you know and when you think about somebody leaning inside a grand piano that's basically what it looks like to the audience you know you just look like yourself. Sort of I don't know, changing the clutch or something. You can't really see yeah. what's going on. You know? Well,
1: it's a highly skilled job, isn't it? Um, tuning a piano. That's a right. massively like, highly skilled, highly prized yeah. uh, job because it's so hard to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Isn't it? I, I think... Did <laughs> I, I, I tuned my own. Well, yeah. Did I, I'm <laughs> That's wondering why it's if I, a bit rough. Is this right? I, I think I remember at some point hearing this fact. Yeah, I think it was on More or Less um, that a piano can never, ever be completely in tune because by the time you've got to the uh, one end you've the other end just because of the tension has slightly changed its tuning so it can never be perfect tuning no I think, is that right or uh, not, I, sounds I, like it might not be. yeah it
0: sounds a bit dodgy maybe but i think <laughs> it might be that it's about um, equal temperament and it's about um, pianos not really having true intervals because it kind of has uh, to, to be an average dry. So, if you think about a violinist, you know they can make a perfect fifth or they can make a perfect fourth. But then, if they're in a different key, F sharp might have to have a slightly different relationship to D, let's say. Whereas in another key, F sharp would have to have a you know a, a, another relationship to D. So that actually you get very minor alterations in tuning, which are possible
1: on a string instrument oh, or on a wind it instrument. It was too. to do with intervals, yeah. And uh, so there's a kind of just like when I that. heard the fact on that program. I don't understand it again. But <laughs> but I think it's interesting, but I don't understand it. Yeah, well, this um, is the
0: whole thing about Bach, is he like, made his 48 Preludes and Fugues to sort of say, look, now we can play in all the keys without having to retune. Because <laughs> before that, you'd retune your keyboard to sort of be in different keys. So you'd say, right, today I'm in C major, I'll tune it to C major. And so the piano is kind of a sort of messy amalgamation and it's trying to be all keys all the time. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the thing about it.
1: I mean, tune, tuning is a very strange thing. I mean, we don't... I always think, you know, like, we all only... We, we have the Western tune-in, but, I mean, there are other tunings. but... Uh, sure. Uh, but I also always sort of... I'm always fascinated by the, the rite of spring. Mm-hmm. Wh- wh- who's the composer? Stravinsky. Oh, wow. I should have you around every time I want to talk about <laughs> stuff I don't she know about. Do right
0: ask me easy Str- Yeah, Str- Stravinsky's rite of
1: string. I mean, I always think it's amazing that, that when people first heard it, they walked out so, and no, hated yeah, it. Right. Whereas now, it's so undissonant to our ears. Like, I listen to it, I'm like, you know, that's just uh, some classical music. People like, and yeah. I always find with classical music, the funny thing is, you know, when they play it on the tubes to calm yeah, people down and you listen to it, and you're like this isn't calming music <laughs> this is really like this, i mean this is <laughs> like Have up people up, seen a clockwork it. orange yeah you know, classical music <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's being nice when they're playing
0: no but you're completely right it's it's funny isn't it classical music is used as a tool it's sort of like beating people over the head with Mozart yeah. to calm them down.
1: People like play it to children all the time. Like, oh, this will help them to think better. You're like, right. no, it might do, but I mean, you know, you're not. If you open in a box, mm. you know, you don't necessarily, know, you know, it's like Pandora's box, isn't it? It's like you might be playing it to children with one, one, one intention, but music is a very emotional complicated thing and but, the, yeah, the results of it you don't know what they'll be I mean, but it's
0: interesting I mean people choose Mozart because it's got symmetry and because yeah. it's got this kind of form that is extremely balanced and extremely sort of um, logical I yeah. suppose and it's sort of chosen for this like it might sort of put your brain
1: in order or something yeah. and
0: yeah you can get like Mozart CDs for pregnant women can't you, you? Can. to make your
1: you can. baby clever baby Mozart, <laughs> sort of baby Einstein and baby Mozart what, all what would
0: happen if you played thing. the Rite of spring all the way through your pregnancy I, mean, well, I don't you? know,
1: I mean for, to me it's a very innocuous piece of music I don't find it, dissonance is a very strange thing because what it, what, I mean I should maybe define dif- dissonance just for the listener <laughs> dissonance? yeah
0: uh, sounds that appear to clash I suppose yeah so consonance is when you would have intervals that kind go of together and um, so that the harmonics don't clash with each other whereas dissonance will be yeah sound that needs resolving in some way but yeah I wouldn't describe the right spring as innocuous I'd describe it as you know
1: well I like it but it's, it's, but I don't find it I think it's but it's it's, it's like with all these things the sex pistols now when you listen to them they don't sound as radical as they were at the time because at the time we'd never heard music like that. Now we're really used to it. And like um, feedback um, and Um, rock guitar tuning, there's loads and loads of dissonance in a lot of uh, rock music that now we're so familiar with that it's not dissonant anymore to our ears. I mean it's technically dissonant, yeah. But, but that's what I find really interesting about tuning is that people have different tunings and different things that sound right in different cultures. Yes, and yeah. I always think, well, you know, if if it sounds out like of tune and I've done it and they, and I like it and other people don't, well, maybe they'll just learn that's... in the future. Yeah, <laughs> well, tell you, And there's a whole like form called microtonal, you know, composition where
0: people are trying to find the tones between the tones, you know wow yeah so I mean which is as you say it's kind of embracing other cultures as well somebody's made a thing called the fluid piano where you can tune it so that it it, you can slide between the semitones if you like and yeah so yeah
1: that's fascinating yeah
0: there is a kind of whole movement that says no let's get into that
1: I mean that said I do like a tune (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say rather
0: than a micro tune well I don't know I mean
1: like I find a lot of this very interesting, mm. um, and I think it's—I do think it's very valid artistically. Mm. Mm. But I don't know if I would. I don't know. Have you made anything like a nice tune on your, <laughs> on, on, your on your piano? Do you know
0: what's really fascinating? As soon as I built this inside-out piano, my music just totally like because I suddenly had to make the music myself, and it was a new instrument. The mu- my my music was completely simple. It was weird. It was like I'd gone right back to grade one.
1: Oh, cool! Well, I think yeah. simplicity is good. That's yeah,
0: right. right. And nobody. I mean, it is. It's strange, you know, because people know me for playing, you know, whatever it is, Richard Barrett, let's say something really gonna kind of, Yeah. You know, and then and then I sort of get to my piano and I'm going, dong 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 dong, you know, and I'm just yeah. sort of playing little tunes over and over, and it's because it's upside down. So the piano is actually back to front. So the bass notes are on the right and the treble notes are on the left. This is one of the weird like functions of having having a prototype where you didn't have much money to make it. You've got to kind of put up with a few design issues. And this is one of the issues. But it's so fascinating what it did to me as a pianist because it completely took me back to like the most basic level because I couldn't actually play it normally like a piano. And what that did to me musically was sort of spin me off in this totally simplistic kind of tune-oriented direction which was actually no bad thing right right (laughs) but the other interesting thing and somebody kind of took issue with me on this recently Um, I was doing a talk at the Institute of Synology in The Hague and I was talking about all my interactive electronics projects and uh, and at the end he said, "Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because your music seems very simple, you know." And I sort of thought, "Oh, that's such a bad thing." Oh, how can I say it's not, you know? And afterwards, I was thinking, "Ah, maybe that's not a bad thing."
1: Most, and, you know, and the most successful it's... pop tunes of all time have been very, very simple, <laughs> and they've resonated with lots and lots of people. Right, I mean, So sure, like, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, "Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star." That was by Modes- <laughs> that was by Mozart, wasn't it? and, that, and, that, and, that, and that, that's, uh, that's resonated down the ages kids still love that That, that and I think,
0: I think the other side of this which is interesting is a lot of the music that for example that I've programmed at Beam which is very complex and actually you might not choose to listen to it in your car yeah. you know you might not think oh I'll just work on a, a track of Angry Sparrow <laughs> you know whatever because you'd be probably pretty tense within a couple of minutes yeah. but to see it in a live situation that's where the value of it suddenly comes back so it's you know it's I think music that's for very different true. occasions I isn't think it and music for different contexts and things.
1: those kind of pieces of music are much more interesting often live right and when you have to you're forced to go through the pain barrier do you know what i mean <laughs> well i think and, and i don't mean that in a bad Sorry. way like a, it, a, a pop song by its nature has to capture someone in three minutes and that's a hard discipline uh-huh. right yeah but um a more a longer piece or a more complicated piece mm. That has a different role to play in the way that it relates to mm-hmm. an audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I came to see you, and it wasn't it was it was more poppy than some of what we're talking about. But I saw you at the Roundhouse playing with like oh, ten uh, other. Yeah, yeah. Was it the like loads and loads and loads pianos of pianos yeah. on stage? <laughs> was wicked, um, and it was wicked because it was a kind of spectacle. You know, there were so many yeah, pianists. Right. You're all playing together. You're moving about, and all of this kind of stuff, and this tunes and stuff and you you know you relax in you settle in mm-hmm. and you don't have those kind of moments very often I was talking on another podcast that will come up in the future to somebody else who makes music uh, a different kind of music about um he, and he was saying that you people listen to albums like they don't listen to albums anymore no one sits down and listens to an album beginning to end and he yeah. likes to do that yeah and he finds that a good discipline you turn off his phone and he'll do all that stuff yeah I think classical performances Um, and experimental performances Mm. can have a similar effect you turn off your phone, you sit there it's awkward for a bit, you're not into it, you don't (laughs) know what's going on and then you might suddenly have some kind of interesting mental pathway that happens to you Right,
0: Right, that there might be some sort of equation of demand and reward, maybe I don't know that, um, that certainly I don't mind something demanding that I sit and listen to it and maybe that's what I find better about a live situation because it's there's it's not possible to just wander into the kitchen and put the kettle on. That's right. That actually you are sitting there and yeah. you are therefore engaged somehow. I mean, you of can't course, some it. concerts. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. All, all,
1: if you go yeah. out, then you've missed a bit. Right. And that might be the only bit that yeah. you would have liked, and that's the other thing. I mean, I don't mean that. <laughs> in how a you negative... feel at my... <laughs> No, no, I don't mean that in a negative way. But I think I mean I think that's that. If you get people along to these sorts of things and they sat down, then. You know, they'll have an experience, whether they like it or not. I mean, you know, they might come out of it and hate it. But it'll still have affected them um, in some way. Yeah. Um... I mean, yeah, I mean. uh, I think
0: I'd rather go and see something that I completely hate than sort of sit at home listening to something bland. Mediocre, yeah. Right,
1: right. Mediocre is the enemy. But it's
0: very hard as an artist to take the moment when you discover that you've divided an audience. Because for us, it was in Geneva, and you can see it on YouTube, it's hilarious. But basically, we totally divided the audience. We were in this festival called Electron. And the the audience that we were with, it was in. They were sort of penned in. You had to get like in there early because Eamon Tobin was playing after us. And everybody thought, "Cool, Eamon Tobin's going to do like a really sort of kicking set. Yeah. Let's get in there. Oh, what's this Alexander Zennix? Oh, we'll just sort of listen to that, you know, while we're waiting kind yeah. of thing." What they didn't know was that Eamon Tobin had spent about five hours doing this amazing sound check where he'd really detailedly placed all these sounds in like 17 speakers around the room and he was going to do a really quiet set but nobody knew that and so they turned out and they were like Ah, oh, come on let's party and then and we were playing like our half hour sort of odyssey of weirdness and, um, <laughs> and basically the, the audience was like screaming and stop get up you know and then and it was just strange you know i mean i got a red bull can thrown at me which is you know pretty rock and roll and uh and yeah. at the end you know there's various sort of missiles coming onto the stage and then at the end somebody came up to me and like you know we stood up we were sort of basically about to leg it and the, and they came up to me and they were like holding my hand going that was amazing that was the best thing i've ever seen you know and other people were saying sort of they similar things later you know and yeah. and there was this kind of real and and it was terrifying and hideous, but then I look back on it and, you know, Mi- uh, Mira Calix, who's much more sort of experienced, I guess, at playing big festivals than me, she said, oh no, don't worry about it, it's fine.
1: See, I like it when I split the audience. <laughs> if there's some people who are like, that's brilliant, that's enough for me. But uh, if <laughs> no, <you're> everyone right. <laughs> hates it, that that can be a bit... It's a bit of a doubt. I don't know. I've got. (laughs) It's like we were saying earlier. I need like kind of. um, Well,
0: everybody. I need people to tell
1: me that they love me. Uh, That's why I make art. That's fair. Um, (laughs) That's why you make
0: art. I'd beg to differ,
1: but. No, I mean. You know, it's not the it's not why I make art really, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 something that. Sure, I, I be know, a bit of a bit and, downer if everyone hated it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's hard, and and also, I mean, I, it 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 depends on your aim as well. Like, I aim to make pop music. sub Some, generally, sometimes I've not made pop theatre, or and I've deliberately messed with an audience in right. theatre, and sometimes there have been times when I've made music that's supposed to be pop but not necessarily appeal to the audience that are coming to mm. it. Like I've deliberately done stuff at live arts events that have been to kind of challenge the attitude in live arts okay. in the live arts world. Right, world right. Like, with tunes and narratives and stuff that that people don't always like, and
0: But then, isn't it funny as well? Because you can literally—I mean, it's such a cliché to say, but you can literally never predict your audience. Yeah. In terms of
1: what, how they'll react. Because it's, what it's a think. group of individuals. You know? I mean, I think that's the thing that any any kind of orthodoxy—it's fun to go the other way. Mm. So, if everything was really experimental, then you might be like, right, I want to make really unexperimental stuff just to challenge the dominant archetype but the way it is is what you do is the challenge to the dominant archetype and and, and actually there isn't as much experimental music as there is music that's trying to be Mm. pop you know pop music
0: I suppose I would argue that experimental music isn't trying isn't doesn't set out to you know be experimental or alienate people it purely just comes from a place where these artists you know we feel that this is the music that Needs to be expressed somehow. Do you know what Yeah, I mean? no, no, like It's not a sort of. It's not like a mission.
1: Well, I mean, but, that's yeah. a, that, Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean, in terms of music, I think about the audience a lot. But I know a lot of artists Aww. who don't care about the audience at all right. and it just is about their personal expression which is totally or, bad. and yeah absolutely a hundred percent I mean sometimes yeah. it's better art and sometimes the audience loves it a lot more than me like flaving away <laughs> trying to make the audience love it and sometimes so, that can super. be really hard to achieve if you want it you know I think uh yeah but uh but no I mean no I don't think there is any valid pathway or invalid pathway for an artist Ultimately, as a consumer, as an audience member, I'll just judge the work on whether but, I like it or mm, not. You know, yeah. and I like some of what you've done, and I like some of what Prince has done, yeah, yeah. and I like some. You know, I like the Pet Shop Boys, and I like yeah. um, Apex Twin. You know, yeah. that I'm the kind of person who can enjoy that range of things. Other people. They might have more specific tastes, but that's fine too. You know, there's but no rules. I'm sure eclectic, that's wrong
0: over. Ec- eclectic tastes are also something that's much more enabled. You know, with
1: the technology. Oh yeah, to, yeah. totally, so, totally. Mm-hmm. So the Beam Festival.
0: Yeah.
1: Why is the Beam Festival? It's coming up in a week. Yeah. So this is the point in the in the podcast where I ask you, have you got anything to plug? Hey. And I am assuming <laughs> that the Beam Festival will be one of the things. Yeah. At least.
0: So Beam it stands for Brunel Electronic and Analog Music which you might think well that just covers everything but the idea was in the name to encapsulate what we're focused on which is fundamentally electronic music but also bringing in the idea of analog so what that means is that we're interested in electronic music that is performed in a sort of analog way so using your body perhaps to control the sound, so we've got people like Angry Sparrow who it, you really should check out on YouTube he is an amazing virtuoso, he's built his own instrument that's basically seven infrared sensors pointing upwards and then he waves his arms around above them and according to where his arms are in space the sounds come out and it, it so he's literally kind of sculpting the sounds midair while he's performing and it's totally, wow. it is really wow I have to say So he's Friday night. There's lots of people like him. DJ Sniffs uh, is a DJ who will mix and scratch records but also has an interface again which is much more sort of technical and involved and he um, is kind of looping things and catching things and, you know, making it all happen right then and there. The other sort of angle of Beam was that I wanted to invite people in... To a world where people are experimenting and building and soldering, and um, to say, Well, look, why don't you have a go? And then also, Yeah, do you want to come back and play with the thing that you've just made? So, the idea of the whole festival was that it kind of fan out. So, it starts very focused on Friday morning with two specialists. The it's the 24th to the 26th of June. And where's the location? And at Brunel University.
1: Brilliant.
0: And it's, um, the website is beamfestival.com, so that's easy to remember. Um, so basically, Friday morning, you can uh, do a very specialised workshop. Um, and one of my partners is STEIM, which is a beautiful institution in Holland, where it's kind of a hub, it's really just a home. And people from all over the globe go there to meet and enthuse about how we can perform electronic music. Um, And then Friday evening we open up, we have installations, and then we have this amazing gig, which really everybody should be at. Stellark is opening the festival with Jenny Walsh, who was on the front cover of The Wire in November. They're doing like some duet for singer and prosthetic head. Um, (laughs) um, And then later on there'll be Ryan Jordan doing his crazy noise strobe stuff. Um, Saturday, you can get involved, so you can take part in a petri debate and come and be argumentative and get stuck in. And then um, (laughs) there's loads of free workshops so you can learn about motion capture, how to just use a webcam and make music with that and um, do soldering, do making your own instrument. Um, There's going to be a special beam synth which we've designed specifically for people coming to beam to make, which is basically a circuit board that you then play with your own fingers. So that's quite a nice
1: instrument to take Aww. home. Um,
0: I'm, yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> I'm really, really hoping
1: I'm not away. That I'm not away a few weekends, and I'm hoping it's not that one. Now, wow. Um, and then, uh,
0: and then Saturday. So in the afternoon we've got flute, and we've got singing and live electronic stuff. And then in the evening we've got a beautiful gig, which is kind of robots, theremins, um, people playing iPhones. We've got Leafcutter cutter John. We've got then Phil Jack doing a gorgeous. Um, set to send us to sleep, and then we've got a sleepover. So basically, you just bring your sleeping bag and bed down. We're wow. having in the main space. We're putting mats out, so everyone's just going to be crashed out. There's like <laughs> three hundred spaces for the sleepover, and um, and then what's happening during the sleepover is that there's this um, music and emotion research group in Belfast at Sark and they do uh, brain-powered music. So basically, they'll be performing while they sleep, and they're wearing sensors on their brains, which will. And take the readings of their brains as they go into different sleep patterns, and that will control the change of the So
1: music. you'll be hearing the sound of them sleeping.
0: Essentially, yeah, wow. but sort of well, them translated, dreaming. right? Yeah, wow. them dreaming, yeah, nice, yeah. So um, and then we wake up and eat lots of sausages on Sunday morning at the <laughs> festival
1: breakfast. And how much does it cost?
0: Uh, it's only twenty-five quid for the whole weekend, or twenty quid if you're a student. So it's super, super cheap.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that sounds excellent. <laughs> and I, I. I, 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 I really think that sounds really good <laughs> i'm really hoping that i'm available and if
0: you want to stay which i would really recommend because living in walthamstow and working at brunel it's a bit of an epic it's journey. A bit of a track. so you may as well book a room so for 50 quid um, or 45 if you're a student you can come for the whole weekend and stay friday night in a room and then stay at the sleepover saturday
1: and if so. you don't stay in the room over the, on the friday night this the, is the sleepover included in the
0: yeah. 25
1: pounds yeah price. totally yeah. oh cool
0: yeah. yeah so if you just want to stay on Saturday yeah.
1: well that's fantastic so that's Beam and everyone and you've got a Twitter as well they can yeah, follow Beam uh, Festival Be- Beam Festival there's on Twitter there's Beam Festival Facebook, Facebook group
0: event page
1: you know, and all, so all that stuff so like it and follow it and all Do that all stuff those things. and where can they find you
0: me I'm on a really chronic website sarahnickels.com sarahnickels.com always needs updating um, and the Inside Out Piano is um you
1: can get you can link there from the homepage. so, so yeah. Sarah, if anybody nichols wants to help have me with my website well yeah <laughs> okay two. okay yeah <laughs> if any web developer wants to get involved in helping sarah nichols with her with her website uh email the show and uh and i'll pass it on to her you <laughs> never that. know you, you never that. know well that's fantastic well it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you sarah and, um, Sorry, know? can I say one oh, more yeah, thing? Yeah, no, 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 go, For separate. people who are
0: interested in podcasts and um, mm-hmm. before you come to beam there's going to be six free podcasts Oh, to wicked. Download. definitely you should say right this. um there's six free uh podcasts of music tracks to download and so that the idea is that you can listen to them on the way to the festival so we're going to make them available like two three days before the festival oh, and fantastic. they're called beam train so, beam train yeah and
1: will that be they'll be able to search for that on itunes or uh, are you it, doing it it's just going to just be your through, site, our website, yeah. through your website yeah. so go to beam keep an eye on it hear those podcasts fantastic good stuff well it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you Sarah and uh, would you like to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience it's been lovely bye bye you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at GBA podcast you can find it on facebook It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.